Welcome to the PeetsNP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America. But before I was faculty with CUA, I was a preceptor. Being a preceptor was a way for me to pay it forward from the years when I needed hundreds of hours of bedside teaching. And clinical education is still one of my favorite perks of the job. Today, I'm going to talk about preceptors and what you should do if you have problems in clinical. First, let me start with saying what wonderful people preceptors are. They are the princes and princesses of healthcare education who earn a star in their crowns for tirelessly teaching and coaching novice learners through some of the most difficult aspects of role transition and medical decision-making that pediatrics could present. The art of nursing is not something you can learn in a lecture, and clinical practicums are the primary vehicle by which knowledge and concepts are translated to hands-on clinical care. We love our preceptors at Catholic University. I should know because it's what drew me to the institution in the first place. But what should you do when things aren't going so well in clinical? How should you conduct yourself in real time? And who should you contact? Well, there are a lot of perspectives here, so let's take a few different vantage points. Students should first make sure that they're approaching clinical with the right mentality. You should gain a humble attitude that is ready to learn when you're there at clinical. After all, preceptors aren't paid. At least, they shouldn't be. This new trend of paying for preceptors and placements scares me a lot. I worry that there is a financial disincentive for a preceptor to give honest, objective feedback and redirection on a student who isn't doing well if the preceptor is receiving monetary gain for their services. Does the preceptor just end up checking boxes as though the clinical evaluation is based on showing up and punching the clock? Clinical is not a rainbow-striped participation ribbon at the end of field day that means A for effort. That's just the tip of the iceberg on the issue, and I'm not going to address it fully today, but it's a warning to students to beware of geographical areas or subspecialties where this is a trend. I recommend that students consider other options, like a temporary relocation to another town or state in order to avoid paying preceptors. I digress. Okay, so preceptors aren't paid, and typically having a student makes you slower, not faster. So a preceptor welcomes a student out of the goodness of their heart, respect for their profession, and a sense of duty to groom the next generation of pediatric providers. They are doing you more than just a favor, and it's important to be gracious, professional, and prepared in clinical. You should be following a code of conduct from your university and adhering to any regulations placed by the school, institution, or practice setting. What's more is that preceptors are already practicing providers, meaning that they've passed their educational requirements, a national certification, and are licensed by the state in their role. So they have the ability to consider a host of complicated presenting factors that might impact their decisions. I bring this up because it's important for a student to think about why a preceptor might be making a decision if at first it doesn't appear to be founded in evidence-based practice. The most common deviations from EBPIC surround ordering tests that won't add substance to the visit because they aren't indicated by the clinical presentation. Think of a strep test in a child with obvious URI symptoms that are causing a sore throat. 
Or maybe the result won't change your management. Like, why would you order a strep test on someone after diagnosing an ear infection? It's the same antibiotic to treat both, except a higher dose in the otitis media. Or maybe the tests simply add healthcare waste to the visit without impacting your indecision, diagnosis, or treatment plan. I see this a ton with fully vaccinated kids in daycare who have a runny nose and fever. You don't need an RSV test just for the sake of knowing what virus is causing the fever, even if the parents just want to know. Those are just a few common examples, and there are other ways to stray from EBP too. I heard just this week about a student whose preceptor didn't give adolescents any private time during their well visit without the parent in the room, which felt more like a disservice to the patient population. Adolescence is a time of great change in a person's life, both physically and psychosocially. The PCP is a trusted source of information, and the focus of a well visit requires that teens and even tweens and preteens should be evaluated independently of their parents so that these sensitive topics can be addressed in private. I encouraged my student to follow the EBP by politely telling the parent that it's time for them to step out of the room and you'll invite them back in shortly. It's important for the parent to remain involved in the adolescent's care, but it's also important for the teenager to be able to seek guidance regarding private matters like sex, drugs and alcohol, and mental health without worrying that they're incriminating themselves in front of mom or dad. You need to practice how you're gonna make those tough conversations flow during a patient encounter. It can be really awkward at first, but repetition and experience will help make it feel more natural in time. Don't assume that if no one says anything that there's nothing to say. You should also put appropriate limitations on your confidentiality because you don't want the patient to feel like they've been betrayed if you have to report something. So why didn't this preceptor interview adolescents in private? Remember that the preceptor does their job day in and day out with the knowledge that outlying factors influence their management choices. Perhaps they knew the family really well already and there was a lot of trust. Maybe their choice was a customer service approach to keep patient satisfaction high and ensure good reviews or a return visit. Maybe their compensation at this job is based on how much they bill and this was a time waste. Or maybe they're an exceptionally cautious provider based on previous experiences. No matter what their rationale is for choosing a management approach that isn't evidence-based, they technically have the right to do it as licensed by the state in which they practice in their board-certified role. But my hope is that a student who adheres to EBP can reinvigorate a preceptor and encourage us all to do the right thing for the patient. Because you, the student, who is not yet finished with your education, should be aware that your tests in class and your board's exam do not know your preceptor, nor do they care why your preceptor chose to stray from EBP and you will be expected to know what is supported by the literature. So that's why it's important for you to come home from clinical and look everything up so you can identify if something doesn't match your knowledge of our nationally acknowledged clinical practice guidelines. Make sure that your understanding of the standard of care is reflected in your assignments. And what should you do if you recognize the deviation from EBP in real time? Well, Remember how I said it's important to stay humble? You don't know it all yet, so don't come across as one.
you should seek understanding rather than making an entitled judgment. This is the time to have a crucial conversation about why your preceptor has managed a patient as such. I recommend using statements instead of questions and pay attention to your tone of voice. Why are you doing that? Can sound so petulant. While, tell me what was your thought in ordering such and such, comes across as information seeking and open minded. Tell me why, or help me understand, are phrases that can help ingratiate you to your preceptor instead of coming across as critical or disapproving. So you're going to seek understanding in an unpretentious way and earnestly listen for the answer because it can suggest to what degree you need to question everything for the remainder of the semester. Your preceptor might have the latest and greatest EBP article from the literature that justifies their management perfectly. Maybe that new article was so compelling that it warrants practice change now before there's been time for our national authorities to incorporate the findings into their new recommendations. This is exactly why we conduct literature reviews every week in class, so we can find the latest and greatest to create our own best practices. But if the answer isn't founded in current EBP, It means that you need to have a keen eye for seeking best practice on your own for the rest of your time together. Open communication with your clinical faculty and course instructor are essential too. We never want there to be an unsafe situation for a student or a patient. So contact faculty early and often when you feel like there are issues between you and your preceptor or your site. We're here to help you navigate these professional relationships identify problems, and hopefully solve them on your own. You are your own best advocate to ensure that your education meets your learning needs. It's most valuable when you've pinpointed what the problem is and explored other surrounding factors so that your faculty can help you work through an approach that solves the problem without straining the relationship. Since I can't be there with you all the time, although I wish I could, I want feedback if you recognize that a clinical environment doesn't facilitate learning. It may mean that you'll be responsible for more self-motivated learning or that you need to find the bright side to make the most of the experience until the next rotation begins. But no matter what, I guarantee it will be a valuable learning experience. Being a preceptor is hard work. Believe me, I know. Your feet get held to the fire with every innocent question from your students. And there are days when you just want to put your head down and get your job done so you can go home. But it is so good for me to be held accountable for what my medical decision making was and why. I'm so grateful to all of the generous preceptors out there who've taught me and who continue to teach my students. You are truly helping to create the next generation of pediatric providers. And to my students, when you graduate and get your first job, don't be surprised when your phone rings a couple of years after you've been in practice and it's me on the other end, asking you to please, please, please consider being a preceptor for a student who is now in the shoes that you once walked in. You won't be doing it for me. You certainly won't be doing it for the money. You shouldn't pay. You'll be doing it for the kids. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.